Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. And welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, how are we? We're good. Coming up on today's show, how MasterChef reclaimed the Australian reality television throne after years of slumping ratings. Then, Reese Witherspoon's Instagram marketing debacle and the very odd trend of sharing your hashtag pandemic dreams online. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. We are in Get Margot Robbie on the podcast, stage one, phase two. I would say, now I don't want to give too much away to the listeners. I'm feeling like net positive about the response. Like as far as meters gained, we're in the green. I feel like we're doing okay. We've had a few little teeny tiny steps backward, but overall net positive outcome. All I can tell the people is keep pushing, keep doing what we're doing. I think it's working and I have faith that if we all unite together, we will get Margot Robbie on an In Isolation episode. This is a very interesting exercise in, what do I say, maybe diplomacy, maybe restraint from you because you are queen of getting ahead of yourself. And you said to me this week, it's happened. We've got her on when we absolutely don't. (laughs) So I love how you're pretending to act well measured. I'm just being positive. I think what we all need right now is a positive mindset. And if we need anything more than a positive mindset, it's to hear Margot Robbie on a podcast. So I refuse to apologize for maintaining a positive outlook and an optimistic outlook on all of this. I do want to recommend something, Zara, and you're going to laugh because I'm simply going to re-recommend what you recommended last week. I'm a week late. You on the episode last week said everyone needs to watch Unorthodox on Netflix. And all I want to do today is just back that the F up. I'm not going to swear we're not using the F word for the foreseeable future, but I'm backing it the F up because Mitch and I sat down, we watched Unorthodox on Netflix a couple of days after you recommended it. And it was such a good recommendation from you. It is such an arresting four episode series. It is a beautifully done TV show. And 
I loved it. I have recommended it to my dad who has since watched it. He has also recommended it to a group of people. So you're just like creating little pockets of fans of unorthodox all around the country. My girl, good job. I was going to say, I will forgive you for the very, very lazy recommendation just because you pumped me full of compliments. <laughs> so that's about it. It was very good. So I don't always, lo- I mean, I mostly love your recommendations, but this was one that I sat back and I was like, you nailed this. Good job. Look, the thing about my recommendations is I'm not sure if you like them or you don't, but you certainly pretend not to like them. I think it's a bit of podcast drama, you know, oh, Zara's got a bad recommendation again, but whatever. I'm just happy that this one resonated. What about your week? Tell me everything. My week was good. It's getting to the point now I feel when I'm speaking to my friends and there's not that much to say. Like you'll pick up the phone and check in and be like, how are you? And everybody will be like, yeah, fine, just going through the motions. And there's never been less to say about what you're doing. And I don't have anything to talk about. I need like a combo starters now <laughs> because everyone's just doing the same thing all day, which is it's a wonderful exercise in slowing down. But when you ask me about my week, I feel now that I have nothing to say. I just kind of go for walks twice a day, go do my work and sometimes read a book. I feel that we absolutely need to come up with a new question for what's news. Like there is no news. None of us have any news. We need to supplement that with some new like convo starter questions. Maybe you and I need to come up with like a deck of convo starters so that people can start ringing their mates and having actually interesting conversations because so many of my conversations right now, particularly with my sisters, Evelyn and Claire, just follow the exact same pattern every single week. Okay, maybe next week when you intro the episode, bring me a different convo starter. Like bring me something that's weird that I can answer that's not about my week. That is your challenge. As for recommendations, given I have terrible taste in recommendations according to Michelle Elizabeth Finefoot and Andrews, I still want to recommend. I have two podcasts that I thought were really great this week. The first one was an episode of The Daily, Shock Horror, for those who play along a lot. I like The Daily. But it was an episode about the allegation leveled at Joe Biden from years ago about sexual assault. And I thought this was interesting because I think on any other day or in any other week or in any other month, this would be a story that I would be incredibly invested in, but found myself last week feeling like I had no idea what had happened because I think there's so much going on in the world that I didn't know the details of it as much as I normally would, I think, because I was so distracted and the presidential race feels sort of like a subplot to what's going on in the world right now. I agree with that. I think I've been going down some weird conservative Twitter rabbit holes because I just find it to be such an alternate universe. And the number of conservative tweeters who are ravaging Joe Biden online, which of course they are, they're conservatives, is really interesting. And I find this plot line of him being accused of sexual assault a couple of decades ago to be fascinating. So was the episode unbiased? What did you think of it? Oh, yeah, it was just a complete report of what had actually happened. So if you do feel like you're behind on that news story and don't actually know where to catch up, just click on their Daily's episode about Joe Biden's allegation and I think you'll get up to speed straight away. The other thing that I want to recommend is a little nicer. It's an episode of How to Fail with Elizabeth Dale with Alan de Botton and I know I just massacred his very, very beautiful name. <laughs> Can I have try? I think it's Elaine de Botton. Yeah, it's Elaine. Elaine. You're so right. Show me. A little uh, plus plus one for Michelle, a zero for Zara. A plus one for you. It was a really beautiful episode. It was also kind of dark and confronting in parts. Like it wasn't an easy listen, but God, I had some things that I was thinking about afterwards. You know, when you listen to a podcast episode and you come out with a few ideas that you're just reeling about, one of them was this idea that we constantly tell people when we're faced with their worries or their stresses that we tell them because we don't often know what else to say that everything's going to be fine. We say to them, it's going to be okay. 
And he said at the moment for some people things aren't going to be okay. Like at the moment for some people things aren't going to be fine and we don't have to tell them that it will be. He kind of said we can just tell them that they will endure this or they will survive this and that he kind of had this really interesting perspective of like we tend to endure everything that comes up for us and the the faster we make peace with our worst case scenarios, the better that may be. And I know some people might be listening to this thinking, well, everyone's worst case scenario exists on a spectrum at the moment, doesn't it? And his point was our worst case scenario does even extend to death. Like he was talking about this idea of making peace with death. And once you do that and work backwards, you can live a far more kind of productive life. And it sounds really strange and it sounds really confronting. And I don't for a second want anyone to think that the conversation or my interpretation of it makes light of death. But I think it is this idea that we are so obsessed with saying that everything is fine and for some people it's not and the faster we acknowledge that, the better. The other idea that he spoke about, which I found really fascinating, is he said that FOMO, like fear of missing out, is just a completely made-up construct. No, no. okay, I'm going to stop you there. That sounds like such bullshit. I I get the first part of what you were talking about, about coming to terms with the worst-case scenario and kind of re-gearing your mind to think of what could actually happen and not being in denial. However, fear of missing out is absolutely a legit thing. Well, I really enjoyed this. I think it's about perspective. So what he said about FOMO is he said FOMO is a made-up construct and we're talking about it more now because everybody's saying there's a bit more of an absence of FOMO because none of us are doing anything at the moment. Like there's not as much to be scared of missing out on because no one's doing anything. And he said, I kind of feel like it's the same thing in real life. Like we aren't really missing out on things because we don't really see when we have that fear of missing out, we see all these these beautiful people at a beautiful party that we wish we were at. We don't see the depth of what's going on for them. We don't see how lonely some of those people are in the room. We don't see how social anxiety permeates that room. We don't see everything else that's going on for those people where it may not be a perfect night for them. It may not be a perfect party. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective on FOMO. I'm not saying that it's not that we don't feel it. It's that idea of maybe we shift what we feel like we're missing out on, if that makes sense. I feel like I need to listen to the episode. I feel like he's such a deep thinker that I'm not going to really be able to get across it in a couple of minutes of explanation. Is that your very polite way of saying that Zara is butchering a philosopher's words and therefore none of them make sense (laughs) on her own? (laughs) (laughs) If it was, it was very polite. (laughs) I just want to clarify. Does he think FOMO doesn't exist or does he think FOMO is misguided? Well, I said FOMO is a construct. It doesn't, it's not to say that FOMO doesn't exist. It's a, I think it's to say that it probably, oh, no. Any, okay, the worst part about this is I'm actually kind of sweating right now. Anyone who's listened to this episode will be like, she's fucking taking this down the absolute rabbit hole, has misunderstood everything that he was to say. I was trying to sound a little smart for a little second. Anyway. No, he's just saying maybe we should consider it differently. I think I saved myself. I just think he... Anyway, <laughs> I'm wearing a fleece jumper that I need to take off. Don't put me on the spot on my own podcast. This is not an interrogation. I can see all that sweat just forming oh. right now on your little pretty forehead. There is none. Anyway, shut up. Okay, <laughs> if we're going to play this game, then I am going to corner you all day today. <laughs> oh, remember our rule of anything we say plus or minus 10%. That's the oh. rule. That's what we're all going with forevermore. Why don't we ever say that in the intro of podcast? Hello and welcome to Shameless Plus or Minus 10% on anything we say. Like give or take. Even though I think what you just said, I don't think the plus or minus 10% rule works. I think you basically <laughs> just butchered what he was trying to say. Can you give me plus or minus 50? Just okay, I on like one to- occasion when we're talking about philosophy. Plus or minus 50%. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> and I will give you one shot in the next month to say something and then say, 
pocket. I'm <laughs> sorry, Annabelle, I just swore you're going to have to beat that out. I'm going to plus or minus 50% with that point, but I wanted to make it anyway. Oh, I will take that. Thank you so, so much. Should we get on to the first segment for the day? Yeah, but now I really have to be on my game so I sound smarter than I did at the start. <laughs> We are starting today's episode, of course, with MasterChef. Now, MasterChef premiered last Sunday night. By that point, Zara, we had already recorded last Monday's episode, of course. We record every Sunday. But we want to talk about it because MasterChef has gone so incredibly well. It is now in its second week and its premiere was insane. It reached 1.82 million Australians around the country, which was a 70% boost from last year's premiere. Those are just crazy good numbers. Yeah, isn't it insane? It is the highest rating reality TV premiere in 2020, which includes MAFS, of course, which is like such a huge TV show for Australians. It also continues to be the number one reality show each night, which I guess is a less surprising stat given there's not much on our TV at the moment. But I have to say, Mish, and I wonder if you feel the same, I feel such joy for this show doing well. And I don't know why I feel I have any vested interest at all in the success of MasterChef, given I've never actually watched a season. But I feel such joy that they took such a risk in getting rid of those three judges and revamping it and that it's worked. I agree. I feel a lot of joy as well. I have watched seasons of MasterChef. That said, I haven't watched it in probably five or six years. I felt like the format just got a bit stale. Now, the three judges that were replaced, you just touched on it. Then those judges were Gary Megan, George Columbaris, and Matt Preston. They were replaced with Chef Andy Allen, food critic Melissa Leong, and restaurateur Jocks on Frillo. Now, I was so happy about this because they finally injected a woman into the lineup. I feel like it got so boring watching three, often four men when they had a guest judge, which was often a male judge, Zara, judging people. Like I understand that Gary, George and Matt were all experts in their field. However, to not have really any female representation on the show for a decade felt tiring. And I would guess that a lot of the viewership of MasterChef are women. They're probably mothers at home with their kids and with their husbands. And I think to ignore women for so long was a mistake. And I'm so glad they've corrected that mistake. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's also a show that families can watch together because it's so, I don't know, wholesome, I guess. One thing I did say to my boyfriend as we sat down to watch MasterChef this week was the judges are so hot. And I don't say that lightly. (laughs) They're so hot. All three of them. It's a hot judging panel. And more than that, I said to him, Jock Zonfrillo may have just shot past Sam Pang as my top hall pass. (laughs) Is Jock Zonfrillo your new hall pass? Well, I'm still getting there. I don't think these decisions can be rushed, to be totally honest with you. I really don't think they can be rushed. But we both agreed sitting there that he was our favourite judge. We loved him. And then he did an interview about this because I was like, oh, my God, I have this, like, really niche idea. I'm such an individual. I think Jock Zonfrillo is hot. And then I realized that he is like, there's articles about him being the breakout star and everyone falling in love with him. And I was like, there it is, just being basic again. Anyway, he did an interview and someone asked him about his like sex symbol status. And he said, he said, I find it embarrassing. It's very flattering, but I'm Captain Awkward. And I was like, Jock Zonfrillo, if you didn't want to be a sex symbol, you shouldn't have said that because that's made it even better. That's made it even better. There's nothing, there is nothing better than a really hot guy who says that he's awkward. Like nerdy, awkward hot guys are such a niche and boy, they are the best niche ever. Also, anyone who watched Glee will agree with me on this one. He gives major hot Mr. Shoe vibes, like major. Oh, I don't know who Mr. Shoe is. I act <laughs> like I did just then with a big sigh, but I couldn't continue this combo. 
You know what you did? You looked up at the ceiling and like kind of to the left and apparently that's a sign that you're instantly lying and you did that straight away when you were like, oh, gotcha. Anyway, I want to talk about MasterChef week one in that I think it was so genius not only to have this new judging panel but to launch this season, it must be season 11 now or season 12, with Gordon Ramsay, like to get one of the most liked and renowned celebrity chefs around the world to come launch this season was just a stroke of genius from Channel 10 and the production company. And I am curious, how much would they have had to pay Gordon Ramsay, someone who reportedly earns over a million dollars a week, to come to Australia and shoot this first week of MasterChef? Well, it's interesting. I thought straight away they are not skimping on this season. And usually our biggest criticism of reality TV is that it just looks very budget from Australia. But it's very obvious that they are throwing a whole bunch of money at this season. I mean, for one, you're bringing back all-stars. And in order to bring back all-stars, you've got to pay them pretty well in order to entice them back. But I did think that when Gary, Matt and George kind of parted from the show, there was so much talk about how much money they were on. And I think that they would have been able to sort of, you know, have a bit of extra cash to spare. That said, probably not enough to get them through. Katy Perry as well, by the way, who's coming onto the show later as a guest judge and Gordon Ramsay. So they are doing everything they can and it's good to see that it's working. I agree. One aspect of the show that I'm loving right now as well is that I feel like the three new judges are so eloquent and well-spoken. And I'm not saying the judges that came before them weren't those things, but I think there is really a masterstroke of I don't know, it kind of feels like a glow up, right? Like I'm trying Mm. to explain it in really intelligent ways, but it just feels like this show has completely glowed up over the break. And what we're seeing is a more manicured, more professional production. Yeah, I think there are definitely elements of that. I also think there are elements of luck that come into play here as to why people are going to be so invested in this show. There's not a lot going on at the moment for people. Like I can't remember just anecdotally as much anticipation for another reality show starting as MasterChef this year. Like even I was looking forward to it and I've never seen a full season of MasterChef. I think something that offers a distraction, that offers routine and another thing for us all to be universally invested in is going to be something that does well in this climate. Also, the fact that it's all stars and it has that nostalgic factor Mm. to it where we're seeing people like Poe come back to the screens and people that we loved watching on MasterChef in its very, very early days in the golden era. It's such an enticing element to the show. I am really interested what will happen to Gary, George and Matt. They've actually moved over to Channel 7, Zara. They are releasing a new television show at the end of the year called Plate of Origin and I'm fascinated to see how that fares because clearly MasterChef is doing quite well without them and I wonder how they'll go on their own. Totally. Can I finish this with one funny Daily Mail story I saw this week? We should finish every segment with a funny Daily Mail story. I really, really like Melissa Leong. Like I know we spoke about the other two being our whole passes, but I really like her as a judge. Anyway, the Daily Mail put out the dumbest article I've ever seen. And I've I've seen some dumb articles in my time, Michelle and Elizabeth Andrews, where they wrote, MasterChef judge Melissa Leong's very saucy side revealed as she models racy outfits and poses seductively with the cor- cor- Oh, no. What it's are you trying to say? Courgette. Is it courgette or courgette? courgette. Okay. Courgette. I really should have Googled the pronunciation of that vegetable before I read this headline. Anyway, with a courgette in steamy Instagram pics. Anyway, there's this photo of her just with a courgette and the caption they put on it in their Daily Mail article was, fashion and food. The TV presenter sent pulses racing in February when she posed seductively with a courgette. They're digging up her past, posing with vegetables and trying to make them seem sexy. I'm Googling this right now because I have to 
That's not a set. Isn't she joking around? Yes. She's like kind of holding it up to her face as like a telephone. Yes. Daily Mail, what's going on? I feel sorry for the writer who is tasked with this story. Monique, I'm so sorry that you were forced to write this. It sucks to be a young writer and be given these kinds of angles from your editor. I have to say as well, I would love someone to come into our Facebook group if their pulse was sent racing when they (laughs) see this image. Hands up whose pulse was racing after seeing Melissa Leong with a vegetable. That's all I'll ask. You've called the Shameless Hotline. Please leave your message at the beep. Hi, brilliant ladies. My life is in crisis at the moment. I have major depressive disorder and I'm in the biggest depressive episode of my life. There isn't a lot that is happy in my life right now, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who's really struggling. So I wanted to share a small thing that I am grateful for. Every day my parents come and they take my baby son to care for him while I'm recovering. I get two hours with him in the morning And I feel like such a failure immediately after he's gone. But I make a coffee, I take it upstairs, I climb into bed and I snuggle up with myself. It doesn't sound like much, but it's one of the only acts of self-care that I can manage at the moment. And in a time when there is so much pressure to be optimising during self-isolation, I wanted to reach out to this fabulous community and say that no matter what you're going through at the moment, you're doing your best And whatever that looks like, it's absolutely enough. Love, Hannah. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Before we get into it, Zara, what a gorgeous voicemail message from that shameless listener there. Thank you so much for sending that in to us. That has been such a delight to listen to. And we are with you and we're with everyone who is struggling right now. I just love having these voicemails and being able to hear all of your voices or some of your voices, at least on the podcast every week, Zara. Oh, totally. I actually think that voicemail gave me goosebumps when I first heard it, Michelle. So thank you so much, Hannah, for sending that in. We couldn't appreciate it more. And we are sending love to you. For now, Mish, I have five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity (laughs) news cycle. I'll intro this myself. My first story for you. Lindsay Lohan says, new album, a remembrance of things from my early 20s. That is from page six. Have you listened? No. I'm going to put a little snippet here for the listeners. Now, dare I say it, I know it's overly produced. I know that it sounds a little bit like something a grade nine might make in their media class, but I kind of love it. I didn't mind that. I have to say, I'm hardly a music snob. I don't mind if something's overly produced. If it's catchy, I'll be singing along. Yeah. And in this interview, Lindsay said, look, I want people to be able to dance to this. And I would dance to that song. Sure. Go for it. Could you film a video for the listeners dancing to this song and perhaps put it on Instagram? No, well, this is the thing. I want us to create a TikTok account. I'm currently trying to figure out what the hell we'll put on that TikTok account because you and I refuse to dance for the public's entertainment. We are not dancers. We are so bad, in fact, that I refuse to ever put anything of me dancing online. I think that we should put a poll in the Facebook group. Anyone who wants Michelle to do a video of herself dancing to Lindsay Lohan, and perhaps you shouldn't have taken the piss out of me trying to say smart things at the start of the episode, will be regretting this. Anyway, if you want Michelle to dance, I'll just do a poll. That's all I should have said. People can do a poll. I'm still not going to dance. Mitch, I'm going to get Mitch to do it. Anyway, my second story. Amy Schumer reveals she has officially changed her son Gene Antol's name after realising it sounded like... Yep, genital. That is from the Daily Mail. Mish, did you see this story around this week? I did. Now, if you guys didn't catch that, her baby's name, her son, was Jean 
first name, Attle, middle name. I believe Attle was the name of a grandfather or something. So it was intended to be very sweet and sentimental. However, when you put Jean and Attle side by side, you get Jean at all genital and it's a little bit cringeworthy for everyone and poor Amy Schumer had to go and officially change her son's name. What is her son called now? Jean David, which has not got the spark that Jean at all has, I must say. My dad's name is David and he'll be offended by that. But dad, you've got to know that Attel has a little bit more spark to it than David does. Dare I say I like the name Attel far more than I like the name Jean. She should have bumped Jean, moved Attel forward and made it Attel David Fisher. Am I wrong or am I right? You're bang on. You are bang, bang on. Do you think this was a publicity stunt? Because that is the rumour that people like to spread. Look, Amy Schumer's a comedian. So yes, if I was to put my money on anything, I would say this was perhaps for publicity. Like any mother, any parent is quite careful with what they name their child. Like if your last name is King, you're not going to call your kid Lee. If you're like, remember that, isn't there like a big M ad or something or like a dare iced coffee ad where someone's given a ridiculous name when it's put together sounds ridiculous? Like I don't understand how this could have happened if it wasn't a joke or for publicity. I feel like it wasn't. I feel like it was just a dumb mistake. I feel like they kept the name a secret and didn't tell anyone until after the baby was born and it was just the two of them. And I wouldn't put it past two people who were creating names and actually seeing the name for how they want it to be read, not reading it how the rest of the world was. Like I really, really don't think this is a publicity stunt you'd want because it's got your child's name all over it and I do feel like that's a different kind. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm I'm just like a little bit too cynical about this, so you're probably right. Zara, one point, Michelle, zero. Story number three, Isabel Lucas cut from charity over anti-vax comments. That is from Yahoo B. For those who missed this story, what happened was Isabel Lucas commented on uh, an Instagram post of old mate Pete Evans and wrote about vaccinations, freedom of choice is every human's right. I don't trust the path of vaccinations. She wrote that on Instagram and within about 24 hours was sacked from being an ambassador of Plan International, Mish. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're not familiar with Isabel Lucas, she was, of course, on Home and Away back in the day. She's an Australian actress. She's most commonly these days known for her role in Transformers, which was back in 2009. I'm frustrated by this. Like, I, I can't cover it or twist it any other way. I find anti-vax sentiment to be incredibly frustrating. I think it's also incredibly symptomatic of white privilege. I think those who are anti-vax are completely ignoring what vaccinations and science have done for global health, particularly the health and well-being of vulnerable and marginalised children across the world. So, I mean, Isabel Lucas, I think she lives in Byron Bay and she's quite wealthy. She's an actress who has been in some huge Hollywood movies. I think it is not surprising that she has this view, but I would encourage her to look across the world and what vaccinations have done for those who aren't as lucky as her. Yeah, and I think a great move from Plan International being decisive with this because I think that sends a very clear message. Story number four, COVID colour conspiracy. Viewers question today host's new look. That is from the Daily Telegraph. And Michelle, when we're talking about colour and the Today Show host's new look, we're talking about Carl Stefanovic's hair colour. Correct. It looks darker. It has more of a chocolatey hue than it had before. I'll put my hand up and say that. Now, Confidential, which is the Daily Telegraph's gossip column, did reach out to Stefanovic and he gave a quote to them. He said, I'm glad to be providing some light relief to the national public during dark times. I absolutely haven't done anything to my hair he said. He explained that they're shooting in kind of like a makeshift studio right now. They're not shooting in the regular Today Show studio and the different lighting is making his hair look different. Now, 
And maybe that's true. I can only trust what my eyes are telling me. My eyes are telling me his hair looks different, particularly around the ear region where it was once grey is now chocolate. I also want to say women get their hair dyed all the time, including me. There is absolutely no problem if Karl Stefanovic is getting his hair dyed. And the fact that this is a news story perpetuates the idea that hair dye is something only women can do, where I think if you want to friggin' dye your hair as a man, I'm not surprised. I don't want grey hairs right now. If you don't want them as a guy, particularly a guy on television, friggin' colour your hair. What's with all the judgment? <laughs> Right, go girl. You stand on that platform and you give us that. This speech. is the hill I'll die on. <laughs> like, what a hill. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's kind of funny that it's this news story. I kind of love when stories like this at a time when we are in the middle of like a global pandemic actually capture headlines. Like, we care about it. It's so stupid, but I guess it is light relief, as he said. A little side note for you, Mish, when I was trying to do some research, because yes, we'll do research even on the dumbest stories like this, for this story I put into my search bar, Carl Stefanovic hair, and the first story that came up was from Who magazine, and it said, mind blown, Carl Stefanovic spends 55 grand to get the perfect hairdo, and I was like, whoa, what a story. So we clicked on it because I wanted to know what costs 55 grand, like is he going to the world's most expensive barber? But when I clicked into the article, there was this ad and it said I needed to answer a question from the ad before I read the article. Have you seen this around? What website was this? Who Magazine. Who Magazine wanted you to pay to get in, or like not pay, but pay with your survey questionnaire to get into an article about Carl Stefanovic's $55,000 haircut? Yes. And the question was, what stops me from going on a diet? (laughs) And I was like... I am voting with my click right now. I'm clicking out of this story. And now I don't know why Carl Stepanovic allegedly spends 55 grand on his hair. Nah, f- that. I'm looking at this right now and I'll answer the question for us. Do we oh, reckon this is clickbait? Am I about to be royally screwed well, over? That's the other issue. I was like, this story is not going to be true, by the way. It's not going to be real. Mm-hmm. So I'm clicking in. I'm giving money to a fake story. And that is a new low. I wonder if many people actually read these articles if they have to kind of answer ad-based questions. I've gone in in an incognito window. So this is why I'm so superior to you all the time, Zara. I'm in an incognito window. I got through to the article straight away. Would you like the answer to his $55,000 hair? Yeah, and we should say it's also still probably not true. Oh, my God, it's Who magazine. It's almost definitely not true. It's apparently because he visits Sydney's The Crown Clinic where some procedures can cost up to $6,000 and a British X Factor judge spent fifty five grand. I think they're saying that he gets hair plugs. Yeah, they're, they're claiming Karl Stefanovic gets hair plugs. He was losing his hair and now he's not apparently. Probably complete bullshit, please, like everyone, just keep that in mind. Probably <laughs> But also, how is the clickbait saying it's up to $6,000 in Sydney but also an X Factor judge all the way on the other side of the world pays fifty five grand? So, you know, could be one and the same. Anyway, we spent way too long on Karl Stefanovic's hair. So story number five, why Haas avocados are better than Shepherd. That is from Gorman and Gourmet. What? Not even a website. You've just pulled this out of nowhere. Also, okay, that's before, the most obvious opinion ever. Before you say anything, you pronounce it Haas? Isn't it Haas? Okay, a confession. I was never sure, but then I went to the supermarket with Ollie this morning and he happened to drop the word Haas just by my luck. And I was like, amazing, I've got the pronunciation. Because clearly I don't know how to pronounce vegetables. Courgette. So just to clarify, your pronunciation is Ass, but with a H at the front. I'm going to have to take this up with him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
blaming Ollie. He's not here to defend himself. Anyway, I put this in. It is from Gourmand and Gourmet. I have no idea what that is, but it went into the Facebook group. If you guys aren't in there, it's Shameless Podcast Community Wait, on Facebook. Michelle, what if it's not Haas? I'm making an ass of myself today. Huh. It's almost, de- <laughs> it's almost it definitely Haas. What the f***? Like I would put, well, I'm not a betting woman, so I'm not even going to endorse betting. But I'd bet a lot on it being Hass, not Hass. I'm having such a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I put this in because it was in the Facebook group. It was one of the most talked about topics of the week. And I was stunned, right, because I read this headline when I approved it in the group. I was the one who let it through because we uh, moderate every post that comes in there because some people want to post some wild shit. Anyway, I approved this. And when I saw it, I was like, I don't even know if this is worth going in the group. Like, isn't that the most obvious opinion ever? Like, of course, Hass avocados are far superior to shepherd avocados. Let it through, left it for a couple of hours, went back to visit on how it was doing, and I am positively stunned, stunned, shocked, and appalled at how many shameless listeners think shepherd avocados are better than Hass avocados. Like, in what world? Okay, a secondary unpopular opinion to this is I actually don't think it matters because most avocados are overrated anyway. I actually think they're generally kind of flavorless, but that's fine. So I don't have stake in this beyond the Haas versus Haas argument. I feel like this is a new frontier for you. I feel like you were on the avocado train with me Uh, for a while. Like we've got lunches and brekkies that had avocado and all of a sudden you've just deviated away from the avocado train. Okay, so here's the thing. This is a long episode, but we're going to make it a little longer. (laughs) Um, Avocados, mean, when I was younger, I never quite liked avocado. The texture made me want to vomit. And then when avocado got trendy, I forced myself to like it because I was like, you can't be the person sitting at the breakfast table who's like oh I don't really like avocado so I taught myself to like avocado but I've never loved it I've never loved it and someone called me out on it not long ago being like I feel like you don't actually like it that much and I I have to say I don't if you roll it in goat's cheese and put salt and pepper around it great so I just want to clarify you faked liking avocado for years because you thought it brought you social clout yeah no no okay that is (laughs) that's too far I didn't fake it. I forced it. I think there's a difference. Okay. I've got an example of that as well. Espresso martinis. I faked liking espresso martinis for maybe four years and I had to come clean late last year and be like, you know what? The aftertaste of espresso martinis is awful and I refuse to drink them anymore. I reckon yours is a bit crazier than mine. I reckon there's a bunch of people out there in the world right now who have faked liking or forced themselves to like avocado because it's not a hot thing to admit you don't actually like. It's not hot. It's no jock on thriller, let me tell you that, Michelle. And that is all for the quick and dirty for now. <laughs> How did we get here? I don't know. Okay, I know this is the longest episode in history. I want to go home. But, no, you are home. You are literally at home right now. But I might have texted Ollie mid-record and been like, like not nice words, saying you've, you've ruined my reputation here. And he still thinks he's right. He's convinced that we are still right. So screw this. I'm, I'm going to call him. Let's add Ollie to the video chat and Ollie can fight for his reputation and your reputation. I mean, yours is already kind of screwed already. Yeah, let's just send him the link to this chat and get him to log on and not tell him what we're actually doing. God, poor guy. So Oliver, <laughs> thank you for joining us. I didn't tell you actually we're recording right now. What are we doing? Okay, so we're doing something that we need your insight on, right? You're on the podcast right now, so the pressure is on Ollie. Today when we were okay. at the grocer and we were going to get some avocados and you were like, I want Haas avocados. I don't want shepherd avocados. Shepherd avocados are shit. And you pronounced Haas avocados Haas. 
Michelle says it's Hass. Yeah, uh, the H, yes. Where did you get Ass with a H from? It's Hass. It's H-A-S-S. I've just always known it as Ass with a H. Do you have any evidence to back this up or have you just ruined my reputation? No, I do. I've asked Ryan, who works at Toscano. He is as good as a primary source as any. <laughs> Ryan is Ollie's best friend. <laughs> And he, he knows his vegetables. So what did Ryan say? Hang on, hang on, stop, stop. Ryan knows his vegetables. He knows his fruit and veg, Toscano's, fruit and veg store. He works, he's worked at a fruit and veg store forever. He knows his vegetables. And can you tell me what Ryan told you, Oliver Keogh? That the pronunciation is interchangeable. Some <laughs> prefer to go with the traditional Haas and then others, the more new school, go for Haas. Hold on, hold on. I wish I actually did brief you before I brought you onto this because you aren't meant to take the diplomatic side. You're meant to give us one answer. It's harsh, mainly, isn't it? It's harsh. I feel like you coming on the podcast and saying it's interchangeable is you admitting that you're wrong and that it is indeed harsh. No, 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 no. It's harsh. It is harsh. I guarantee you this. This has got to be the worst debut on Shameless I've ever heard. <laughs> okay. I think we're agreeing it's harsh, but he's trying to be polite to you. Anyway, feel free to have me back anytime soon. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye, Ollie. Adios. Coming up after the break, Reese Witherspoon's PR disaster and why you're having so many bizarre dreams right now. But first, a word from today's sponsor. This week, Hollywood treasure Reese Witherspoon found herself in a rare PR debacle. You see, in the midst of the pandemic, the 44-year-old actress decided to use her dress label to do a little bit of good. How? Well, her brand, Draper James, promised to give free dresses to school teachers as a thank you for their commitment to educating students no matter what. But as the New York Times fashion correspondent Vanessa Friedman put it, things went very wrong. Zara, let's backtrack. What exactly did Witherspoon's fashion label post on Instagram originally? Michelle, that is a wonderful question of which I have the answer. They wrote on Instagram, Dear teachers, we want to say thank you. During quarantine, we see you working harder than ever to educate our children. To show our gratitude, Draper James would like to give teachers a free dress. So teachers were then instructed to apply via form and they were given a deadline and were told when winners would be notified. But they didn't say how many dresses. They just said while supplies last. So it started very vague. Yeah. First of all, before I say anything else, since when has Reefs Witherspoon had a dress brand? Like I've known about the book club. I've known about the production company. But Reefs Witherspoon owning a dress brand is entirely new information to me. I had no idea, but I also think Reese Witherspoon is one of those people. She's like a Jack from Twitter. She's a Jack from Twitter who has hands She's in many eyes. She's a Jack eyes. from Twitter. It's like Jack from Twitter owning Square. Absolutely. If you tuned into last week's episode, you'll know all about that. Now, them saying until stocks last, I'm imagining in my head, like you come across this giveaway on Instagram, you sign up, you hand over your teacher identification, you hand over your email, and you would think that is until the brand runs out of dresses completely. Not exactly what happened. Draper James allocated 250 dresses to give away to teachers. And while this is a lovely initiative for people, and while this is something that I'm sure was done with the purest of intentions, great intentions, in fact, to give back to teachers... It's quite misguided to think that 250 dresses is enough for a brand that has 700,000 followers on Instagram and is owned by one of the biggest Hollywood celebrities on the planet. Like you would think if you're going online to say we're giving teachers free dresses, sign up here and you'll get a free dress, you would allocate for thousands of people to apply. 
And they said in an interview with the New York Times that they didn't anticipate the volume of response that they got. Marissa Cooley, who is Senior Vice President for Brand Marketing, told New York Times, we were really overwhelmed. It was way more volume than the company had ever seen. We expected single-digit thousands who applied for these dresses rather than the one million women who applied for these dresses, which is just nuts numbers, like just crazy. I think for me, this really exposes the downfall of being a celebrity and putting your name to everything, right? Like I think it's great in some aspects and it's why they do it. It's why Rihanna does it and it's why Reese Witherspoon does it too because it can really catapult a brand. The minute they put their name to something, there are dollar signs there and and they use that to their advantage. Though when things go badly, you are the fall guy. You're the one people look to even if you had zero to do with the decision or even if you kind of have zero to do with the company. And I think the other thing that's very interesting, and you did this as well today, Mish, just already, is that people confuse your wealth with the companies and think that mm. if, because you have all of this money, the company therefore must have all this money and should be able to give away far more than that. And it's your wealth, it's Reese Witherspoon's wealth that they compare with their own. Yeah, well, this is the thing, right? So when we say that this received a negative reaction, that's an understatement. Like the New York Times labeled this a disaster. So I think when you take into account that this is teachers we're talking about, one of the industries that is the most most affected by the current crisis when this group of people is promised something as shiny and fun and frivolous as a free dress from a Hollywood celebrity and then that promise isn't fulfilled that's a little bit of a kick in the teeth I do think on top of that the biggest error in judgment here it wasn't the number of dresses given away it wasn't the original Instagram post it was a decision that Draper James made after the competition happened so 1 million women went onto the Draper James website and filled in their email address and their teacher identification as I mentioned at the top of the segment It would have been okay and it would have been totally forgivable if Draper James went, you know what, we don't have enough dresses for these people. We're only going to send out 250. The rest of the entrance information will be deleted. But Draper James didn't do that. They retained the information for 1 million women, then proceeded to feed those women their marketing material straight to their inbox. So effectively, Draper James profited off teachers in the midst of a crisis. And I think that is just such a bad look. Yeah, it's not a great one. And I think one thing that I do want to say here is I don't doubt intent. I don't doubt intent here at all, but I think it's something we come back to a lot. The idea that once you have a good intention, your communication and your execution has to be as strong as your intention. I think it has to be as strong as your intention because very soon if you mess it up, nothing else will matter. Like wanting to do good is like a two-step process. The first thing is have a really good idea and want to help people. And the second thing is communicate that properly. It's very reminiscent to me of earlier this year when we had a conversation, Mish, of influencers who announced that they wanted to donate a portion of their sales from their brand to bushfire relief. But in many cases, it looked like a flash sale because they only had it going for 48 hours. And the intent there was really good, but the communication strategy was very, very poor. And it does seem like a conversation we come back to a lot that people aren't really learning from. Yeah, absolutely. One aspect of this did really surprise me, Zara. I'm such a huge fan of Reese Witherspoon. I think she's done incredible things for women in the film and television industries in particular. But I was so surprised to read the Draper James website. First of all, I had no idea she had this dress label. And once I did find out, I learned that it's very influenced by Southern values. It's quite traditional dresses and quite conservative, lots of tea party dresses. It's not my style, but I know it's plenty of women's, particularly in the US. 
What really did surprise me, though, is how the brand is positioned in that Reese Witherspoon is a very vocal feminist, someone who is incredibly progressive and such a force for change and for women's rights. But on her dress website's about section, she wrote this, my grandparents taught me everything I know about gracious Southern living. From them, I learned to dress and act like a lady, to take pride in my home, to reach out to help a neighbor and to always invite everyone in for a visit. That's beautiful. Like she was talking about what her grandparents taught her. And I think that's gorgeous. I'm surprised to learn she has such traditional views of what being a lady is. Even that line about dressing and acting like a lady, just, I don't know, it felt like a bit of dissonance to me. Yeah, completely. It's an interesting thing to read knowing it's coming from Reese Witherspoon. It's not the only quote that we've just cherry-picked there. Like the branding of that is permeating through that website. Like it's everywhere. There was another quote on there that said, be charming if you can, witty if you must, but always have grace. And I don't know if I'm completely, completely misunderstanding what Southern grace means, but the idea of like charming if you can, witty if you must is is really interesting wording to me when you're trying to sell clothing to women. Yeah, I think it's just surprising and that's it. It just seems like two completely opposite sides of Reese Witherspoon's upbringing and what she stands for because this is a woman who has been instrumental in platforming other women, particularly female authors. So Reese Witherspoon, for those not aware, she's the one who made Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl a film. She read it and thought this has to be a movie and she created it off her own bat. She wasn't getting the roles that she wanted in Hollywood, so she created her own production company. She was the one who read Leanne Moriarty's Big Little Lies and said this should be a television series. She has gotten up on stage and given such empowering speeches about feminism and women's representation in Hollywood. I am just surprised to read that on her website. I was really quite taken aback by the sentiment of be a lady, dress like a lady. Well, I wonder if you find this anecdote interesting, right? So there was very recently a profile published about Reese Witherspoon in Vanity Fair by Anne Patchett, and it was a really, really great read. It was in conjunction with Little Fires Everywhere being released on Hulu, which she kind of optioned the rights for and produced. And in the profile, the writer Anne Patchett and Reese Witherspoon are having a really, really honest conversation about Me Too. And Anne asks Reese, how is it that so many women discussing their own experience with harassment in articles are photographed draped backward over a sofa with no top on under their jacket. Is it fair to say that sends a mixed signal? And this is a really complicated conversation and one that I'm actually not going to get into right now, but I thought Reese's response was really interesting. She tried to explain it and said, this is what my daughter would say. And then she went on and say, I know it's really complex. It's not how I grew up. I grew up thinking you dress the way you want to be treated, but things are changing. So to have Mm. that idea in print in Vanity Fair last month, this idea of, yes, I once thought that I grew up up on this idea that you dress the way you want to be treated and it is at core of who you are. And then to also have a brand that kind of doesn't evolve with your own sentiment is a real juxtaposition for me. And I, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying it matters hugely, but I think it's a curious thing to recognize. Absolutely. And as we said, absolutely love Reese Witherspoon, love what she stands for. But the whole dress label thing this week has just completely flipped me out. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, actually. If you're listening to this segment or you're looking on Draper James' website right now, come into our Facebook group, tell us your thoughts. Or if you're from these southern parts of America, please come tell us, are we missing something about the culture and the attitude towards even fashion down there? Is there some belief that women should dress and act in a ladylike 
very traditional, quite patriarchal manner. Do you think that is imbued in Reese Witherspoon's brand? Come talk to us. Come debate with us. We might have gotten this wrong. I'm not sure we have those are. I mean, it's very hard just reading that to see if you can separate that idea of dressing like a lady as something separate to being a lady. Like it's too much for me to be able to separate those two concepts. But if someone can, like you said, Mish, come to our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, we'll chat as always. Take <laughs> plus or minus 10%. <laughs> <laughs> Are you one of the millions of people worldwide who are dreaming a stupid amount right now? Well, so am I. This week, the New York Times' Katie Weaver published a story titled, Why Am I Having Weird Dreams Lately? She is hardly the first to notice the trend too. Articles have also popped up in Wired, Harper's Bazaar, The Guardian, The Cut, Yahoo, CSNBC and Vice, just to name a few. So what in the world is actually going on? Are we all dreaming more or are we all just talking about dreaming more? Mish, Let's start with you. Are you dreaming more? I've got to say I'm not. And I think I'm only not because I have my anxiety under control. When my anxiety is bad, I can absolutely vouch for dreams going haywire and being completely dystopian or particularly vivid. I know that when I had a really rough bout of anxiety before I started seeing a psychologist in 2016 and 2017, my dreams became almost unbearable. Like when my anxiety is really poorly managed, I almost fear going to sleep because my dreams are so traumatic. So I'm not surprised that so many people are struggling with dreams right now. And I'm sure I would be the absolute same if I hadn't got to the point now where I know what my triggers are for my anxiety disorder. But you, as you said in the intro, have been dreaming heaps. So much. I am having more than one dream a night, but it's not just that I am dreaming, I'm remembering them. And the dreams aren't that outlandish. Like they're not ridiculous or terrifying or scary. It's just strange to me because I feel like I actually went years without recalling a dream at all. And it's an incredibly surreal thing to realize that now, given I've never remembered dreams for years, I'm suddenly going to sleep and my mind begins playing out these incredibly vivid stories. And I have no idea how it's happening. And I know this is like a very basic interpretation of what dreams are in your mind, but it is kind of blowing me away every morning when I wake up that something has happened. Well, I do have a bit of scientific background for you. After doing a lot of reading, sleep experts and dream experts say that it's not that you're dreaming more. It's that because of the heightened anxiety and stress we're all feeling, we're all actually waking up more throughout the night. And when you wake up, you're more likely to have increased dream recall. So we're all dreaming at the exact same amount that we would be typically, but all of the factors that weigh in that mean that we're waking up more throughout mean we're remembering more of the dreams that we're having when we typically forget them. Now, because I don't have any examples to bring to the table of vivid dreams and I can't laugh with you about your crazy ones that you've texted me about, I did ask our Facebook group on Friday. I said, are you having dreams? Are they particularly weird since the COVID-19 thing went down? Can you tell me about them? Can I read you a few? Please. We had listener Danny who said, last night I had a dream I was interviewing Donald Trump and his wife was Jayla and she was telling me about how fantastic he is and I was so conflicted because I really don't like Donald Trump but I really do trust Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) We had listener Laura who said, my ex was dyeing some girl's hair. He isn't a hairdresser. I yelled at them for being disrespectful and disgusting. Then I drove off in a golf cart. I do not own a golf cart. This is what it's so ridiculous. I have never been someone that's enjoyed telling people my dreams. I reckon I've said on the podcast before 
that it is self-indulgent to tell people your dreams because nothing is based in reality. And I have become someone every single morning I wake up and I turn to my boyfriend and I'm like, oh my God, so this is what happened last night. And he has no one else to talk to at the moment because we're all stuck. So he has to listen. Well, we said at the top of the podcast, we can't ask people what's news. Maybe we ask, what did you dream about last night? It's the only thing any of us have to say every morning. I've got one more for you before you tell us about your weird dreams. Listener Shannon wrote in, last night I dreamt that I was breaking into houses with my mum and she was carrying a pot of scrambled eggs while we were going from house to house. Then all of a sudden I was flying around on a snake. The snake created its own handlebars for me to hold on. This is the best part is the dream transitions. I don't think any of us talk enough about how weird the transitions are in dreams. Like they don't have any transitions. You just jump from one place to another. I also read that someone in our Facebook group tagged me in something saying I had a dream that you were pregnant last night, Zara, which is not <laughs> not the greatest thing I've ever read on the internet, I have to say. Please, God, I hope it's not true. The weirdest Ooh. one I had was about your niece, <laughs> Amelia. <laughs> that was so weird. I dreamt that I was at your sister Claire's house and that, like, Millie, your niece, who is, like, two months old, Max. She's 10 weeks old today, so happy 10-week birthday to Millie. Happy 10 weeks, Millie. And so what I dreamt is that Millie was supermanning on the hardwood floors. And when I say supermanning, I mean like literally doing a superman across the floor and supermanning back. And I turned to your whole family and I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that babies could do supermans. And you guys were like, yeah, like obviously this girl knows. And then you guys were so mean to me. You're like, you don't know anything about babies. Babies obviously superman. And then out of nowhere, she stood up and started walking and she took four steps. And I was like, what the hell? I don't know 10 weeks old babies <laughs> walk this young. And you guys were like, she did. She only did four steps. It has to count to five in order for it to be walking. And I was like, God, this family's very uptight. <laughs> what do you think that means about your relationship with my family? Do you think it could be that a lot of my family are in medical professions, like Steve's oh a paramedic, Claire's a midwife and a nurse, Evelyn's a medicine student? Do you think it's that you feel medsplained whenever you speak to my family? I do feel medsplained all the time, but in fairness, I know nothing about medsplained. So <laughs> they might as well medsplain to me. I don't know. The thing is, I've seen so many different reasonings as for why people are dreaming so much. One psychologist by the name of Deirdre Barrett, who is a psychologist at Harvard and the author of The Committee of Sleep, suggested that our spike in dream recall has a lot to do with our slower paced lifestyle that some non-essential workers are now leading. And I am leading a much slower lifestyle than normal. And she said changing one's routine dramatically leads to more dream recall. And I think that's a pretty simple explanation for someone like me. Other people say that it's also a symptom, of, as you said, Mish, of anxiety. Like if your routine hasn't slowed down, it may not be that, but it also might just be anxiety. I just find it incredibly magical. I know that sounds very strange and earnest, but the idea that our subconscious minds and our conscious thoughts are so deeply linked feels very magical to me. I mean, magical or just physiological? I still think magical. <laughs> I still think magical. I mean, I say I this as someone who isn't having nightmares, so. Right. Well, I did find some interesting research. As someone who does have a history of nightmares, the research from Ruth Proper, who actually did a bunch of research in the wake of 9-11, I found her study so interesting. So what she did was she looked closely at people who were very invested in the media coverage of 9-11, obviously back in 2001, and followed their dreams. And she found that there was a link between those watching television news reports with having distressing dreams. She did not find the same link with radio or with talking to friends about 9-11. It was visual media. And I wonder if there's any link between that with watching a lot of television news and actually being on social media, which is a visual medium as well. For example, 
Twitter or scrolling through your Facebook timeline where you're seeing lots of distressing headlines or distressing photos again and again and again. I mean, I know we covered this a few weeks ago. I actually want to touch on it again, though, the whole concept that what you feed your mind is like a diet, that you should focus on the news intake that you have and make sure that it is as balanced and as nourishing as possible because if you simply consume fast news all the time, it's kind of like eating sugar and sugar alone. And I know that friend of the show, we've interviewed her before. She's a wonderful journalist and a wonderful media personality. Georgia Love actually disagreed with that. She said it's really important that we encourage people to watch the news. It's really important that people stay across all the big headlines. And I agree with that. I am trying to say, though, I think it's important that we nourish ourselves and we don't feel like we have to watch every single headline. Because as someone who has a history of anxiety disorder, I know what it can be like to become obsessed with the news. So when we said that a few weeks ago, I'm not saying don't educate yourself. I think you absolutely need to educate yourself and stay across the important health information to keep you and your loved ones safe. But there's a difference between doing that and becoming obsessive. And I think the audience we speak to of young women, they tend to be very very, very switched on Zara. They tend to be very invested in the news and what's going on around them. And I'm speaking to those people when I say, please make sure you do not put pressure on yourself to be across everything because I've been through it before. And it's honestly traumatic to feel like you're obsessed with something and you're dreaming about it and you're thinking about it all day, every day. All I'm trying to say is know that you can give yourself a break and that is so totally okay. Well, yeah, I think when it came to that debate of how much news to consume from a couple of weeks ago, I think both of you are totally right. I think it actually just comes down to knowing your limits like be as informed as you possibly can to your limit and I think that's what it's about and that limit as we're talking about now is often illustrated by the depth or the craziness or the terror in your dreams and I think that says a lot so there's a lot of funny stuff that's coming out of my dreams but I know that that's not the case for everybody but I think it speaks to what is going on in the world right now and know if you're dreaming a lot you are not crazy so many of us are too but Mish I think that is all we've got time for today I think it is. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Shameless. If this was your first episode of Shameless you've ever listened to, welcome. If you don't know much about us, we are two independent podcasters who have a beloved producer, Annabelle Lee. We put out this podcast, just the three of us, every single week. We began this podcast two years ago on Zara's bedroom floor. Two years later, we are doing this podcast from our bedroom. So thank you for supporting us. Your support and your downloads and your love is what keeps us going. So thank you. We so appreciate it. If you're looking for ways to support us it is easy to do that you can subscribe and give us a rating on apple podcasts or click follow on spotify we are also on instagram at shameless podcast and facebook shameless podcast community thanks for doing the route michelle we will be back in you're welcome on thursday for another in isolation episode thank you so much guys bye Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.